0: This episode was recorded on Friday, the 17th of April, 2020. Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broome and I'm joined, as is typically so, by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. Hello! Oh, there we go. (laughs) Uh, Proof. In this episode, we are speaking to three different guests who are all producing masks to be used by healthcare professionals during the coronavirus Crisis. They are Tom Tobiah from Makeversity, Joe Palmer, who is the senior design and development engineer, and engineer and lecturer in manufacturing technology at the AMRC. That is a long title. I didn't really yeah. anticipate that before <laughs> I started talking. And um, and then we have Mark Wrigley, who is a physicist, inventor, entrepreneur, and all-round 3D printing expert. Hello to everybody. Hello. So there's lots of us on this call. We will do our best to uh, talk. <laughs> One at a time, as is the best way to have any conversation, and uh, and let's go. Before we uh, ask you about the the mask production, uh, particularly, it'd be great to have a bit of a a potted history, if you will, from each of you. Just uh, just kind of uh, who you are and and and, uh, and what you do. That'd be great. Should we do it in the order that I read you out? Should we start with you, Tom? Certainly.
1: Yeah. Hi, I'm Tom. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Makerversey, which is a community of makers of all shapes and sizes based at Somerset House in the centre of London. Um, I have absolutely no discernible skills myself, and so I'm a rank amateur when it comes to pretty much everything to do with the conversations we'll be having today. But I do have a 3D printer sitting in my kitchen at the moment, rattling out as much PPE as I can. Um, and we're also coordinating a much wider and uh, better organised effort at Make Aversity at the moment.
2: Fantastic. And uh, Joe? Um, yes, I'm, I'm Joe Palmer. I'm from the uh, the Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre, uh, or AMRC, we're part of the University of Sheffield. Um, and my background is in, is in additive manufacture, uh, so that's a topic I, I lecture on. Um, and it's the we use a lot of additive manufacturing equipment um, to to perform some of the research projects at the AMRC as well. So at present, we've got uh, a lot of that equipment turned over to uh, making these protective visors for NHS staff. Um, And we're currently in the process of of producing quite a lot of those.
0: Marvelous. And uh, Mark.
2: Uh, Hi. Yeah. Oh,
3: I suppose I'd better go back to the start. Um, I'm actually semi-retired now. So um, most of my career has been spent in mobile um, digital infrastructure and uh, work for companies like Motorola and Ericsson. And uh, a few years ago, I decided to retire and come back to my roots in Sheffield. Uh, And there I um, help out with the Institute of Physics and promote physics. And um, a couple of years ago, got into something with Festival of the Mind, which involved 3D printing and and Raspberry Pis and telescopes. And um, that's evolved into a small business. And then um, in terms, yes, I was just going to say in terms of what I'm doing now, uh, I'm actually locked down in Otley, um, pining for Sheffield. Um, that sounds like but, a novel
0: title, right there, doesn't it? Lockdown, yeah. Otley. <laughs> and,
3: um, I'm actually, I'm also a member of the Otley makerspace. So um, there's a, a local group here who um, set up uh, printing uh, 3D uh, printed face visors uh, about two weeks ago, and it's quite it's been quite an interesting ride. In, in as much as um, when we st- when we started out, there wasn't really any organisation um and uh, i'll maybe talk about this a little bit later on but um we did contact some of the larger groups who weren't up and running then um so we've actually used uh, networking uh, uh, and platforms like slack uh, to actually kickstart something and it's, it's been quite interesting to do that w- without being organized and, and and it kind of appeals to the um the rebel in me
4: that's fantastic i love that um Mark, just very quickly before we dive into everything else, um, the business that you've got—I think that's making Raspberry Pi-powered telescopes, isn't it?
3: Yeah, uh, I didn't want to do a big advert. No, it's, um, I just think it's really cool. Yeah. I think
4: people should know okay. about it.
3: Well, this—it this, actually came from this thing. When you talk to a lot of people who are in science and physics and technology, they'll often tell you that the way they got started was by making things in a sort of radio hams building your own guitar and all that sort of stuff. And um, it was five years ago, um, actually probably six now that um, fairly low cost 3d printers were coming onto the market, which made it a, a a domestic item rather, rather than, um, you know, something more expensive. And I think the Raspberry Pi was probably about 18 months old. Uh, so there were bits in me. I'd, I'd got this thing where I, w- I was a big fan of the Commodore 64, and it looked like that was all happening again. But the real thing I wanted to do was to show to the sort of citizen scientists or amateur, look, you can do this at home. Yeah, you can build stuff at home. So that's where it all started from. And um, we did the 3D printed um, telescope with a Raspberry Pi camera for Festival of the Mind which i think is now 6 years ago and that's called the Pycon.
4: fantastic Thanks. Um and Tom you mentioned that you're one of the co-founders of Makerversity can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and how it operates?
1: Absolutely yeah. Um It is essentially a co-working space for people that make things. So we have about 350 members of our main campus at Somerset House in in London. Um, And they have access to the range of... Things that you would find in most co-working spaces, so desk space, a place to make tea and coffee, a little bar and a coffee shop. Uh, But about half of our space is given over to workshops of every kind that we can possibly fit into a grade one listed building. Um, So we've got woodwork, metalwork, digital workshop with all the things you'd expect to find, 3D printers, laser cutters, uh, blast chillers. Um, We have a bit of a wet lab. We have a metal workshop, a textiles workshop, um, and so members are able to use all of the machinery and kit that are in those spaces to prototype ideas that they have for products, businesses um, or installations, art pieces.
4: Yeah. So it's kind of like all under one roof, what we've got scattered around the city in, in the various maker spaces and co-working spaces. Do you think there's a, a real benefit to having everything all in one place rather than scattered around?
1: I do. I think there are I think there are probably benefits of both. Um the 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 benefit that we see from everything being under one roof is the amount of projects that involve collaborations that seem highly unlikely until they happen. Um so between a um I don't know a creative technologist and a fashion designer and uh and a traditional woodworker, for example, might come together and, and create something that you would struggle to imagine uh happening unless they'd all met together. Uh, over a beer in the bar, or uh, we'll bump into each other in the corridor. So that is, we have a lot of really delightful things that come through that that we we think don't tend to come out of spaces that are uh, more focused on one particular pursuit.
4: And Joe, you're sort of at a, a different end of things, working obviously in the manufacturing sector and and working with manufacturing sure. technology. And you mentioned that you you're kind of the specialist in additive manufacturing what kinds of things are you working with manufacturers on
2: um i would first of all i'd say one of the specialists um (laughs) we've got quite quite a quite a team at the amrc that are focusing on um they're focusing on additive um it's unfortunately it's a little bit difficult for me to say because a lot of these these projects are quite um uh commercially sensitive um so you know it's it's difficult for me to give details but um we're doing quite a lot of work with uh metal additive at the minute so looking at uh, using selective laser melting to produce titanium components for, for aerospace and uh, medical sectors uh, specifically um and i think there's a you know there's a, there's a really interesting application there just because of the freedom that uh, additive manufacture offers um in terms of customization and you know one off production and things like that yeah um so yeah, there's a, a lot of interesting things happening in in that sort of area.
4: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because quite often when we think about three D printing, you you sort of picture the, you know, the big cube thing, sitting on a table, mm. and you know, there's something sort of plasticky being built up in layers. You know, it's, it's yeah. kind of the the usual what you see on TV image, but the fact that there's so much more to it, and that it it works with metals and metal powders, as yeah. well as with sort of plastic based materials i think that's something that gets missed sometimes
2: yeah and often that's a conversation that we we need to have um with our with our industrial partners as well because i think there's a, a sort of a very fixed or a very certain um perception of what additive manufacture and 3d printing is and what it can do um and I'm, I'm sure everybody here knows that that's changing all of the time um and you know bringing people up to speed on what the what the current capabilities actually are and how that could help um, somebody's business or somebody's manufacturing process is a uh, sort of a, a communication task that we need to do quite quite a lot and quite often with uh, with new potential customers yeah
4: fantastic well that's that's great so we have a really good picture of what the all three of you were doing but um how how did you come to get involved in projects to print 3d visors and we're talking about you know the the clear, I'm waving my hands around in the air, and of course, <laughs> <laughs> there's no good audio <laughs> on But it, it, it's the clear visor that you see healthcare professionals wearing yeah. over their faces, and then they've got the um the mask underneath as well, haven't they? But yeah. so, so tell tell us your stories. How how did you start doing this? How did you decide it was something you wanted to do?
2: who's going first
4: dive in you, you go you go ahead joe
2: um so i think uh, perhaps i'm jumping the gun here but in in common with the with other people that are on the call i'd imagine that everybody's seen um the the prusa uh, visor. i think was probably one of the first ones that was um was sort of seen and noticed on the internet um and, you know a lot of the press coverage especially in the BBC, um, around you know additive manufacture of these visors um seems to be the proofs of design or or derivatives of it um and in in terms of us sort of that 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 media coverage came around the same time as we were seeing media reports on shortages of ppe um and conversations with local hospitals saying you know exactly the same thing that they're running sort of quite low on masks visors gloves gowns that sort of thing Mm. um so we kind of just saw an opportunity you know we've we've got this equipment here that we could be using um so we sort of just made the call to to open the the building up uh for a certain number of staff uh, and begin manufacture and kind of sort the details out of of where these these visors would go later on
4: mm. and you mentioned the Prusa uh, visor so that that was somebody who came up with a simple design that and then you could just take that design and apply it was that correct
2: yeah so our um so the, the producer, are a manufacturer of uh of fdm plastic 3d printers um and they've got sort of a very large facility in the czech republic i believe right. um and they sort of took it upon themselves to to 3d print lots of these visors and, and ship them out to local um Local hospitals and things like that, and they made the design freely available.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, so I think you know it's it was sort of a, sort of a proven uh, a proven design. And it was available to everyone. So I think that sort of um, is why it's so popular and why most of the most of the visors that you see sort of follow that design.
4: So Tom and Mark, are you using the same design?
1: I have been. I've been trying a couple of different ones actually. So <clears throat> at my on my very domestic scale at home um the precise advisor takes quite a lot longer to print than some of the um uh, more skeletal simple versions that are out there so i've been i've been trying both and dishing them out to people who live locally and work in the nhs to road test to find out what what works best um, and then at Makerversity, we're uh, printing a, a variation on um a swedish um open source visor that's come out as well um and we're printing them at about we're getting through about 1700 a, a day there and again that's something that we've decided to do based on on speed um rather than rather than quality necessarily though uh, like in terms of their efficacy they should be the same but they're not quite as comfortable
3: and how
4: about you mark
3: yeah i'm actually just trying to remember the name of the company who provided our design so uh we're using a, a A uh, very thin design, which um, has the um, acetates attached to it by uh, four holes using a standard four-hole punch. Um, They take about an hour to print on my uh, printer, which is quite old now. Um, And where where did we start with that? Uh, It's really through Slack. Um, I uh, I started to see a few designs appearing um on social media um as did some of my my cohort in the Otley makerspace and we chat on slack so um, the initiative sort of came saying well should we have a go and then really things started from there um i think actually one one of the guys has actually improved the design a little bit and added added something so that the acetate stays on better um and yeah, so that's basically how it started, and then it, it kind of grew from there. Uh, and it was quite interesting because we 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 then spoke to our friends. I I have a friend who's uh, a nurse at the Northern General in Sheffield, and uh, he was telling me that they needed stuff, and so things slowly grew. And um, what's been interesting is that as we've got better at production, and we can get more of these out, our networks have brought us more and more people who need them so uh, we're kind of reasonably matched at the moment they've probably got a little bit more demand than supply
4: right and where are you all getting your raw materials from
3: Uh, right well i've I've actually still going through a stock of 3d printing material um so i had i had quite a few it doesn't really matter what color these are so i'm just going through my stock of, of 3d plastics the other thing which we noticed was that there was a bit of a rush on um, A4 acetate sheets, which we need for for the design we're using. Um, but um, that seems to have eased. Uh, and um, it was basically, we sort of went through various stationary supplies who happened to have some in stock. Um, and um, mani- ma- we managed to keep up, and uh, the, the supply of the acetates is quite good now
4: yeah because i've seen stuff on social media i can't remember the person's name but he was uh he had huge like huge rolls of acetate and was asking if anyone had equipment that could cut it for him so obviously someone mm. a, a company had donated yeah. these great big industrial size rolls <laughs> and then he was stuck with figuring yeah, out i mean the stuff that down. we use actually is, is
3: um <laughs> I, I don't know if you're familiar with comb, comb binding, where uh, you put a sort of spiral down and put a nice glossy front on, mm. and um, most of what we're getting is actually intended for binding documents.
1: I'm getting the same stuff, Mark, so we're probably in competition for the, uh, the research. <laughs> I'll some tips, to go to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah,
2: we're, we're actually using something slightly different, so we're trying to source um, larger sheets of PET G material, Um, which is a little bit thicker. Um, So we're trying to make, on the advice of the hospitals, we're trying to make visors which they can wipe down and reuse a couple of times. Um, So we're trying to make them sort of a bit thicker and a bit robust, but I'd imagine we're having a similar sort of um, issues with supply um, that that you guys are having, sort of, you know, there's that that, that initial rush at the beginning um, and it's been quite difficult to actually track down people with with stocks of of the correct material.
4: So, if there's anyone out there who's a stationary hoarder and has been,
2: <laughs> or
4: or used to to bind thousands and thousands of documents and doesn't anymore, then we have homes for all the acetate. Um, was, uh,
0: sorry, Mel, to interrupt. Mm. I, 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 when I well, I think when you first think about um, like the challenge that you're all taking on, admirably, it feels like a technical challenge. But but is it more in reality a communications problem? Like how do in 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 the sense that how do you get those materials like where how do you get them uh first get the materials but then how do you how do you like establish the relationships and communicate with like hospitals or with whoever it is you tell us where whoever it is that you need to communicate with how much of your job is really actually doing the 3d printing and how much is it actually, all of the stuff around it
1: i i would definitely say for us um that the 3d printing is is the easy bit That's Um similar. the, the The challenges that we have had are a mixture of bureaucratic, legal, communications, as you say, um, and to a degree, though not as importantly, logistics. um, With and with probably the and policy as well, I guess. So uh, policy at a governmental and national level around this stuff. So um, our our biggest challenges have been making sure that we are able to get what is being cried out for by people in frontline uh, care and health situations into their hands, uh, doing so in a way that means that we we will not be implicated um, should those uh, very brave people still unfortunately become ill whilst they're at work. Um, That's something that we've been seeking a lot of clarity on um, from all levels of government uh, right the way down to uh, individual hospital trusts um and it seems to be piecemeal um so some hospitals are happy to take the the risk if you like the calculated risk of of um using what we're providing which has met all of the standards that you'd expect it to meet in that situation um and others uh others don't uh and, and on, a, on a very personal level um the stuff i'm making at home i'm i'm trying to distribute um, and have been told that i I need to I've been sent a form a supplier form this morning for the uh, local NHS trust where I have to fill out a form as an individual saying that I'm a supplier of goods uh, which then places the kind of onus of risk on on me which is a really really difficult thing so I'm, I'm going to be exploring um, routes into care homes in the local area because uh, care um particularly social care is, is something which is being hugely underserved at the moment, and I suspect their desperation for this stuff will mean that they will be more likely to take what I can realistically provide, which is something that is made on a domestic scale and uh every, I think everyone understands doesn't hasn't been through the rigorous processes that most medical supplies would, but we live in extraordinary times
5: It's a scale issue i mean if you're if makeversity is producing you say seventeen hundred a day? yeah correct um so so you know that that puts you over the limit of just being a a a small you know domestic supplier it it makes you a, a more formal supplier to to nhs trusts and um and other other organizations um so that there's a there is a legal liability there um Yes, it, I think I mean, we're seeing this as well in, in some of the projects I'm involved in um, to, to try and get um, technology into the hands of people that need it and so laptops to homeschool their kids and things like that. Um, you know, if it's a if it's an institutional transaction, there, there's a whole set of legal parameters and compliance around it. Um, but if it's a simple question of, of, of somebody, an individual donating someone to another individual, then then, the, the, you know, you can you can kind of get around the legal requirements to, for it. So. Um, would be It would be interesting to know legally whether that's the case in this in this case as well if if you If you hand an individual uh, in a hospital you know twenty visors as a personal individual and it's up to them uh, whether they pass them on to anybody and whether they use them themselves and everything else but you you can't really argue that if you're producing seventeen hundred of them a day.
1: No, agreed. And uh, I, I think the word that you use there that's kind of important in this is probably, <laughs> which is quite a daunting, daunting prospect. Um but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um there and, and and uh at this at the scale of seventeen hundred a day, we've actually found the process to be, although um challenging in certain ways, actually easier because of the scale of that, as you say, to 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 have the right conversations. Um But at a domestic scale, it is trickier for all sorts of reasons. And and, uh, I'm part of a network of a lot of people who are doing this on one or two printers who are building up stockpiles of stuff and and just slightly unsure about uh, how to get it into people's hands as quickly as possible.
5: Well, I mean, I I think I can um, connect you with someone who works in the care sector who asked me specifically whether I knew anyone who was producing by.
1: Fantastic. That would be great. To
5: to you about that Thank
4: you. Well, that's great because I was just going to say if there's anyone listening who can help with this distribution problem or help with the issues around liability for small scale producers, then if you get in touch with Sheffield Digital, we can share the information with the community. I just wanted to come back to Joe and, and ask what sort of scale are you producing on at the AMRC?
2: Um, so, quite a bit smaller than that. I think we're doing about 1,000 a week at present. Um, and we, think we did the first shipment of a thousand on Monday to the, the, the Hallamshire hospital and we're doing another thousand on this coming Monday, uh, to the Northern general hospital.
4: Right. Um,
2: and sorry, how, Karen.
4: how have you sort of got around this issue of, of supply and liability?
2: So we've, we've, we've put direct agreements in place with the hospital, um, so you know we've we've basically got got our legal team to talk to theirs and and agree something between them so that we can donate these um these visors without you know any any concerns regarding liability um but it is it is a really sort of confused point um I would say because there's been sort of ever changing government advice on what standard um you know this stuff should be made to so i mean if we were in normal times anything which is PPE would be CE marked and, you know, you will be able to provide anything which wasn't Um, that requirement has been relaxed, um, but it still needs to, you know, meet um, who guidance on, you know, what, what visor should actually be. Um, But then I think it's, it's like Tom was saying, it's it's just left up to the trusts and and the hospitals themselves to figure out how to navigate that. There doesn't really seem to be central policy from government in terms of, you know, what, what visors are acceptable and how hospitals can bring those into their stocks. Um, it seems to be a lot of, you know, a lot of hospitals um, repeating effort or up and down the country to do a similar sort of thing, which seems a little bit crazy to me.
1: I would agree. I'll just, just to, without wanting to make this too political,
4: yeah,
1: for it, Tom. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the backdrop of, of um of smoke and mirrors slash straight out denial that there is a, an issue with the amount of PPE available in the country at the moment from the top of government is really clouding the, our ability to centralize some of the, the sort of comms and organization around this as well. Yeah. Um, Prissy Patel said a few days ago that she's really sorry if people feel that there isn't enough and there just isn't enough it's just a fact yeah. Um and that kind of language is extremely dangerous and does make uh, efforts of all you know people like all three of us uh that much harder to yeah.
2: to 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 be effective and then then on the flip side of that i'm 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 finding that you know this this um issue of you know coordination and communication has been recognized by a few people um and now there's various organizations for example in south yorkshire um trying to coordinate where you know who makes the ppe on the, you know whether it's additive manufacture or or, or whatever um, and where that goes to, um, which is sort of a really noble goal, but I've been contacted by probably four or five different groups or bodies this week alone, all trying to do the same thing. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's all very well-intentioned, but, you know, if there's not one central, you know, singular body which is which is dealing with this that everybody can report into, um, it makes things very confusing, uh, which is why we've gone down the route of sort of agreeing something um, with a specific hospital trust and supplying to them. Um, just be, you know, because it's, it, it would be far too sort of time-consuming to uh, try and navigate our way through the, uh, the current supply.
4: It would be really helpful for me, Joe, if you could send me details of the organisations that have been in touch with you. Sure. Because I um, sit on calls with the uh, Sheffield City COVID-19 business response group. And one of the things that that group is trying to do is see where there is this kind of duplication going on and whether we can help streamline that. So, um,
2: yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can definitely give you those details. I think without without wanting to mention any any groups in, uh, specifically. No, no, no. no, no um, not not on
4: the podcast. But if you can yeah, yeah. That, um,
2: <laughs> but I think yeah, a, a lot exactly. of the issue yeah. is that some some of these groups have, have been sort of self appointed and have decided you know to undertake this challenge themselves without yeah. really engaging with um you know the, the council or, or 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 government. That probably better place to decide who should be coordinating these activities.
5: Yeah. yeah. On a similar note, is there is there much of a community of of PPE manufacturers emerging? Are you talking to each other about this?
2: Um, I don't I don't think we're we're specifically talking to other groups of of manufacturers. Um, that being said, we've only been, been producing these for for two weeks now, um, so that may well happen in the future.
1: We we've come together under the moniker Shield, um, which oh. is rapidly being um incorporated as a charity okay um with uh with about a dozen other um organizations that are either producing or helping to distribute uh PPE um, and that that's kind of fronted by a chap called Dominic who is an ICU doctor at Barts in London um, and has a charity himself called Heroes uh, which is a medical yeah. charity which has uh formed a pretty good starting point for some of that stuff but okay. again we're 12 of probably several hundred people doing it across the UK yeah
5: yeah, but it, as the as the as the picture kind of solidifies and legal solutions and logistical solutions emerge, that that's probably where they'll emerge first, right? Or you know how to first find out about them. So yeah, I think that's probably true. part of those networks. Is probably a good idea at this point.
2: Is it, yes, that's we, yeah. we've also been approached by 3D Crowd UK. I don't know if anyone's had any uh, any any dealings with them as well. Um, who I think are trying to do a similar thing, sort of. You know collecting all the supply together that the people are making in their homes and and distribute that yeah Because yeah, yeah, we
3: sorry yeah we uh, we did look at some of these uh groups um uh three there were, there are others besides um i think there's is it, is it three d yeah 3D 3D, 3d 3d crowd uk yeah. is the one that i've yeah, seen I mean, but i'm sure that there's yeah. countless others so what we find and this is two weeks ago was that they usually start with sending you a survey monkey to fill in and yeah then um what i was picking up was that actually they were overwhelmed um right <laughs> so um we sort of decided well yeah that's nice we, we'll just monitor that um um and um we're, we're sort of much smaller than other people on this uh, on this podcast and uh, I, think, um, I think I've think i turned out about 100 in two weeks and we've probably done 500 altogether. Um, what emerged yesterday, I was, I was following something on Twitter and then, yes, this legal thing starts to come in um, and to be quite honest, we're not sure whether what we're doing uh, uh, exposes us to some sort of liability. Um, we've... Take, we, we've had a grow, GoFundMe uh, account running which has brought in about £3,500 at the moment which is absolutely adequate for the speed at which we're producing things and um. we make a point of giving these we don't charge anybody, we're not a supplier We uh, and largely they're being given, as I said before, to people in our networks and I think what was said earlier was that you know it's then up to the uh, individuals to take those things to their workplace or whatever and decide how to use it but mm. we don't know for sure and um, yeah. it would be great actually to get some better guidance
1: yeah we're in exactly the same situation as you mark and um, on me on a personal level um, i've been producing things in tens and hundreds and dishing them out to people where i can in exactly the same
4: way so mark and tom you're both kind of doing this in in your kitchen or wherever with your personal equipment if there are people listening who've got 3d printers at at home and thinking well i might like to help out with this as well how would you suggest they get started
3: the way that we got started was just fishing around for designs Uh, and there's plenty of comments out there the the um the prusa design is a good one Uh, and if i could remember what i'm using that's a good one too (laughs) um yeah and just have a go and print one. Uh, that, that that was sort of how we started um, the whole idea. Um, I think then you've got to sort of think about the supply thing. Uh, I actually seen uh, uh, this morning seen a, a chap who's working on his own uh, in the uh, Stocksbridge Deepcar area, and he's just out on social media talking to people and saying, "Who needs them?" This is what I'm doing, mm. um, and it, it's it's yeah. I find this very interesting it's very difficult to organize it's uh, you know you suddenly you know it, it would be great to have one system that delivers this and of course what happens is five different people decide that's a good idea and set something up um so yeah it's, it's a very interesting thing and in terms of um going right back to individuals and how they're connected to each other
5: it is that there, there is something deeper here about how the country is organizing around this because on the one hand, we're, we're, we're responding to, a, to a, 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 like a wartime threat, except it's the opposite of a war, right? Instead of people losing their houses and having becoming refugees, people are shutting their houses. Instead of, instead of people you know, uh, marshalling all their resources to build weapons to, to, to do damage to other people, they're marshalling their resources to, to protect people. Um, and instead of it being a kind of a top down command economy where everything is militarized, it seems to be the opposite of that. A lot of confusion at the top and people coming together and networks to, to respond to the problem. Um, so, I, I mean, from that point of view, I, just, I find this whole thing kind of fascinating. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see whether the network is able to respond to this and whether government is able to just get out of the way and say, actually, if this is a wartime economy, we would be. You know, we would be making it easier to, for people to to avoid the, li- the liability. We would be we would be enabling networks to come together to respond to the to the problem. We would be, you know, transparent about what we know about the extent of the crisis and 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 where the demand is. And and you know, we would be open to be part of networks in order to to uh, provide support. You know, wh- wherever it's needed across the whole of the country.
1: I suspect I suspect you're right Chris and I I think one of the things um loath as I am to um to defend the current administration I think we we have to remember that in when we when we reflect on things like like sort of being in a wartime position uh World War II was six six and a half years long and it took longer than two or three weeks for the sort of the way the 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 community and the system reorganized to to get up to speed um, and start doing things in, in new ways. So there is, there's some mitigation, I, I would say, around that. But I think the thing that, that, the, the thing that I've heard time and time again, particularly as we've tried to fundraise to, to um, buy, I mean, we're getting through eight tonnes of, uh, of 3D printer filament a week at the moment, and that costs a lot of money. Um, we're trying to fundraise for it at the moment. But the, thing, the biggest barrier to us fundraising that we found so far is people saying, but I'm hearing on the news every day that we've got enough PPE, so why are you doing this?
4: Yeah,
1: um, and so that is where the government really could help—is to just own the problem, and then that would that that as much as moving a lot of the kind of um, specific legal barriers and and um, and things like that. If if they if they were able to own that problem and say it's all hands on deck, if somebody says they've got some, like they're printing some stuff and they need some money, please chip in. Then I think that would go quite a long way to being able to enable us to move forward in a bit more of a structured, cohesive fashion
5: let alone getting government funding to actually do it and buy the
1: yeah let's (laughs) not even go there
4: (laughs) i'm just plotting ways of how do i get this podcast listened to by the right people (laughs) so um i guess the the kind of last question we had on our list was was to say to all three of you you know what help do you need i think we've covered quite a lot of it already but there is there Mm -hmm. any other ask that you'd like to put out to the community
1: I think um, touching on, on um, what Mark said earlier, like if, if there are people listening to this who have a need for 5, 10, 20, 100 Pfizer's, please get in touch with, uh, with either us directly or, or with Sheffield Digital Podcast and just let us know where you are and what you need. And uh, I and people like me will do everything we can to get you stuff to use uh, as soon as possible.
4: Marvelous. We can certainly help with that communication. And when we publish the podcast, we always put more details in the podcast notes so that people know how to follow up on things.
5: Actually, on a a related note, Mel, quickly, Mm. um, I'm I'm sure there are other people in in the city and in the region doing a similar thing. Um, Are you aware of them? And are there other people we should be giving a shout out to on this podcast that are engaged in the same activity?
1: Yes, definitely. I'm just quickly going through my Twitter no- notifications to to remind me of who I've seen pop up. Um, but yeah, there is a, there's a lady who's been making rather a lot in Sheffield um, recently. Uh, she goes by the Twitter handle at Miss Vardy. I don't know who she is, but she shared a file with me and has made at least a thousand and they're going to Sheffield Children's. So massive shout out to her.
0: Um, how do uh, people donate? Is there a link that we should all go to to uh, to do that? Is, is, there a, is there a place? Is that is there a one specific place that everyone should go to, or have you all got your own different ways of helping fund your operations?
1: I think currently we've probably all got our own uh, our
0: own ones that have,
1: have been set up. I can certainly share ours with you um, to add to the notes at the bottom of the podcast. Uh, but if you visit the website, um, if you if you Google Shield, Shield will bring you up um, the, the sort of coming together of about a dozen of us. Um, and there is a link through there. I think it's shieldproject.co.uk. Though we've only set it up in the last few days. So I can't
3: quite remember. <laughs> and I'm a bit outside of Sheffield. With, um, Otley's about 10 miles north of Leeds, for those who don't know where it is. Um, but if you just um, go, um, Google uh, Otley Maker Space, the, um, the landing page of their website has all the details, uh, not only about uh, making donations, but also um, uh, if people need help with PPE. And um, I might add as well that I mean we're very we're very digital, but also there there is another group now starting to make scrubs. Um so um yeah, so that's that's the way to get in touch.
2: I think um I think MRC are very, very fortunate to be able to be fund, self-funding this activity um at present. So I think if people are wanting to donate, then the the links that uh, Mark and Tom have just provided are a good place to to go and do that.
4: Fantastic. Well that's great. Um I've kind of dominated on the questions. Chris, did you have anything else you wanted to ask?
5: No, not really. No, I just keep up the good work. I mean, I think we've covered a lot there, and get a. It was really good to get a picture of what's going on, and, and, and you know what's needed, and you know what the situation is. So, um, you know, as you said, anything that we can do to support that, um, or you know, any message we can pass on from the community or get more people involved in it, we will do. Um, and in the meantime, yeah, if, if you need to get the message out about things, just let us know.
0: Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us.
4: Lovely to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Good to chat, guys. Nice one. Bye. Bye. And there we go. Hope you found that useful and interesting. I know that I did. If you would like to subscribe to the Sheffield Digital Podcast, a very, very sensible idea, then you can do that in Apple Podcasts or you can do it in whichever app you choose to listen to podcasts in. You can also find out more at the Sheffield Digital website at sheffield.digital/podcast. And if you find this useful or any of the other podcast episodes that we've done related to the coronavirus crisis, then please share them with someone else. Particularly the one that we did with Keebles and Shorts, because that was all about the financial impact and the different things that businesses and individuals can do at the moment, given all that's happening. So please point people towards these episodes if you think that they will find them useful. And um, we're recording again this week as I speak. So hopefully we'll have another episode for you soon with an update from Mel and Chris on what's happening with Sheffield Digital and what the plans are. Until next time.